Welcome back to the Doggy Juice Pod, changing the way you think as a sports better. This is episode number 45, Friday, May 17th, 2019, and I'm back after a little one-week hiatus. I was actually in Vegas last weekend for a friend's bachelor party, got to see a lot of the sports books on the Strip, and actually got to pop my Westgate cherry, finally spent a night at the Westgate Superbook. It was incredible. Biggest sports book in the world. At least it will be for a little bit longer. Um, Derek Stevens, who owns the D in downtown Las Vegas, is building a new uh, casino resort hotel called the Circa. And that's going to be going up soon. And that's eventually going to have the biggest sports book in the world. And actually the VEASAN studios are going to be moving there as well. So for now, the Westgate's still the place to be in Vegas if you're going to a sports book. They run the Super Contest there. It's huge. It's a great place to watch games. I actually watched um, Game 5 of the, or what was it, Game 6? No, what was it? Yeah, Game 5 of the Warriors-Rockets series last week there. It was amazing. So awesome place to catch a game. Awesome place to be. Obviously, Vegas is the best spot, but I got to see some of the sports books there and uh, make my way through, put them on my Doggy Juice Instagram story. So hopefully people got to get a little insight there on what, you know, the different sizes of the sports books and what the field is for all of them. But anyway, uh, this episode is just going to be all quick hitters. So let's get going. This week was the one year anniversary of the day PASPA was overturned by the Supreme Court of the United States. Last May, May 14th, 2018 to be exact, uh, sports betting is now legal in over 10 states and more are soon to follow. But it's just interesting the way things are right now in America. A lot's been happening the past year. Obviously, I decided to do this podcast last September just because I wanted to cover all these developments as sports betting just grows in popularity here in America. But there's some pretty cool figures here um, straight from the American Gaming Association. Eight states are officially offering legal sports betting now. Four additional jurisdictions plan to be up and running by football season. 30 states considered legalizing sports betting in 2019 so far. Um, In New Jersey alone, $100 million was legally wagered on March Madness in March 2019. Um, There are obviously growing partnerships. Um, There's 35 partnerships between leagues, teams, and gaming companies, and more that are coming up every day, it seems. Um... Zero markets implemented integrity fees, royalty fees, or other harmful league mandates. Um, And I agree with the AGA there. I think that states should hold hold firm on that. Of course, Tennessee's fucking that one up. But uh, $55 million in state tax revenue since last May uh, for for states. Um, $7.5 billion was legally wagered since PASPA was overturned. And $3 billion of that was wagered in new markets. Um, and then a couple other things from the AGA here. The bet- betters in Nevada wagered nearly five, $600 million in sports in March 2019, a new monthly record. So it's not like Nevada's losing any business. Um, that's not true at all. And just eight months after PASPA's repeal, the majority of legal sports betting was done outside of Nevada. So right now, the people are still betting on sports in Nevada, but New Jersey especially is just getting so much handle. It's insane. $8 of every... $10 bet in New Jersey is bet online too. So any states that are looking to enter the fray really need to look at the success that New Jersey's having with their mobile wagering um, in order to move forward. But in a more general sense, we saw a big, and this was expected, but a big influx of European companies have made their way into the New Jersey market and they're still largely squeezed out of Nevada. So Nevada 
we have a situation where it's you know more of the status quo there, and I feel like they're just behind on their innovation, but they are looking to catch up. I mean, sports books they are starting to make changes right now, which I'll touch on shortly. But um, New Jersey really has the European flair with what they have going on there. Everything's mobile based with all the European companies coming in. Obviously, Patty Power, Betfair uh, pairing up, and FanDuel and DraftKings getting. Um, some you know some new direction and everything so right now those two places are like by far the most popular uh, to bet in new jersey DraftKings and vanduul um and more companies are coming into the fray too and they're offering all these promotions obviously to try and um, get a piece of the market share early on right now you know they're offering those crazy bonuses and all these other promotions and stuff so it's it's good for innovation there's new companies entering the fray in Nevada, it's a little slower. They do have mobile wagering, obviously, but they don't have any of those special... You know, obviously, DraftKings and FanDuel don't have a presence there because uh, fantasy sports is um, daily fantasy sports is not legal in the state of Nevada because they consider it um, gambling, so therefore need a gaming license. But um, it's just interesting to see how there's pressure now in Nevada with you know New Jersey, all the success it's having, and how Nevada's going to react. But I think anything that fosters innovation and... Um, new technology, the use of mobile wagering is good because that is clearly the way of the future. Live betting is the way of the future. You see Europe, um, everything's everything revolves around live betting there. So I think that's the future here for sports betting. Nevada is getting their act together. And any states that are really looking to move forward, I think, should look at the Nevada model, but also embrace the changes in technology in the same way that um, that New Jersey is you know, offering all these different sports books, all these new um, uh, European companies coming in to offer to people. So it's it's exciting times, but also at the same time, there's this big worry with the European companies coming in uh, because their business models are different than some of the old school Nevada models too, or the old school Nevada bookies that welcome sharp action. On the contrary, the European companies coming in have a business model where they more often than not, shut down winning players or at least severely limit winning players. And that's very disturbing, I think, to some uh, professional bettors, especially on the East Coast who are trying to get involved in that um, regulated market because a lot of the sharp players are being shut down. And it's it's uh, not ideal. I think, in my opinion, a sports book would be um, better off to take in the sharp money because, first of all, you know where the sharp money is going to be. Um, but also you can balance your book accordingly still. So shutting down winning players, I think, is is bad in the sense that it's just going to drive more action to the unregulated market. Uh, people are obviously going to find a way to bet no matter what. So having more betting, my, my general doggy juice um, theory on all of this is welcome all the action you can in the regulated market. Do not um, severely limit or even limit in any way any batters that you consider sharp or not sharp. And do everything above board because it's better for the integrity of the games when you have um, everything in the regulated market because you're able to monitor where all the betting action goes down, where the money's coming in, and you can better spot irregular betting patterns You know when something doesn't add up, especially in live betting too. Um, and also, you know, just don't, don't uh, do anything that's going to restrict innovation. And you see states not looking to you know, offer mobile wagering, like Pennsylvania is a big issue right now. That's the way of the future. When you think about the younger generation of kids, they're not going to want to be going to the sports book on Sunday morning. They'd much rather be logging on in the morning and doing their bets from their bed and watching the games from home. That's just what it is. You can offer both, but if you're not going to embrace technology and embrace the fact that people are going to want to bet from their phones in the future, 
then I think you're going to be behind the eight ball. And states that are embracing that are going to have a total leg up on the other states that don't. So I think that's my, my take right now, but it's still, it's promising times here for sports betting in America. Obviously it is the gold rush. And um, I'm just hoping that states get this right and continue to educate their lawmakers on this whole process. Unfortunately, my home state here in Illinois seems to be stuck in the mud right now because there's so many competing interests, obviously. And I'm hopeful they're going to get this done. May 31st is the end of the legislative session here. Um, I, I do think they're going get, to get it done, but my more hopeful prognostication just a couple months ago that they would have it done by football season this year, I think, unfortunately, that's not looking as likely now. I'm still hopeful that they will, and I think Illinois will get it done eventually. I mean, they're going to soon, within the next year or two. I'm very, very confident about that, but I'm not sure they're going to have it done in 2019 or at least have it offered in 2019 yet. I think more likely than not, it's going to get passed this year, but I think it's maybe more likely than not that it won't be offered this year now. But obviously, this is changing by the day, and we're really going to have a better feel for it in the next few weeks here. So I will obviously keep you all posted on that. Congratulations, though, to Montana and uh, Iowa, where I went to college, and Indiana for passing sports betting legislation. Just this past week, Iowa and Indiana, uh, the governors signed the bills there, and those are obviously neighboring states from where I am here in, in Illinois and Chicago, so take notice, Illinois. And Tennessee also passed it, but they made a real fucking mess of it, so I'm not even going to touch on that right now, but I am going to be covering sports betting legalization um, a little more in depth in an upcoming episode. I want to kind of go state by state and kind of compare what the different states are offering, especially for people that are looking to go out and bet on you know, maybe trips or vacations this fall, bet on football, kind of let you know what the, uh, what the different rules are in each state that has it legalized or looking to legalize by football season, so I will be touching on that more. And in that, uh, in that pod, I'll touch on how Tennessee's completely fucking this up, even though they are doing mobile only, which is interesting. Caesars announced a partnership with ESPN this week to produce sports betting content together. They're going to be building a new studio at the link on the strip, and that should be completed sometime in 2020. Sports betting content is going to be uh, changing so much over the next few years when you look at Europe and you you know, sports betting related information is covered in depth in pregame shows and, and just in general by the media. I think that's going to be a big thing. And you're already seeing a big change on that here. You know, you have VEASAN, obviously, the first of its kind, a sports betting network devoted, you know, entirely to sports betting. Um, VEASAN, I'm a huge fan of everything they've been doing there. Obviously, the Action Network has been covering sports betting. They've, you know, got Darren Ravel, who, in my opinion, knows jack shit about sports betting, but he's reporting for them. And, you know, you're seeing some other, you know, I've seen uh, Lock It On or Lock It In, whatever, <laughs> Fox Sports, you know, they got that show. And ESPN is the Daily Wager on ESPN News, uh, which is headed by um, Doug Kazarian, the, uh, the star talent for that show. So it's, there's, people are finally embracing it and the big TV networks are embracing it. But this, this is just the tip of the iceberg, in my opinion. Um, and I'm just looking forward to that day when pregame shows, we don't have that just bullshit, um, you know, retreaded ex-athletes who I mean it's I've always went on record and say this like the 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 only industry in the world pretty much where you can go straight to the top with zero experience is being a commentator and those you know the ex-athletes or ex-pros just going right to the top and you know the Charles Barkley's and the Shacks and stuff the Paul Pierce's some of I mean don't don't get me wrong I love Charles Barkley and that show on TNT's amazing like um, Ernie Johnson, but those guys do zero prep and they're completely 
clueless and just remember what they saw last. I mean, if you ever want an exercise on recency bias, just watch that show. I think Charles Barkley said that the Warriors would have no chance of winning the title, beating the Blazers. He actually said the Warriors would have no chance of beating the Blazers after Durant went down, after Durant stayed out for the playoffs. And he was completely oblivious to the fact that the Warriors are a lot better without Durant. They're actually 29-1 and without Durant, with Durant on the team. Um which is insane. So if Barkley just did any homework, he would have known that the Warriors actually have been playing a lot better without Durant. Not necessarily a predictive thing going forward, but just to say something as outlandish as they have no chance of beating the Blazers with Durant out is just silly. And they opened up minus 500, um, even higher favorites to win the series without Durant. So um, I think that was silly. And, uh, and just shows like that, when you consider like just the stupid shit, the cliches that they have in pregame shows, like any NFL pregame show is unwatchable because it's just ex-players just, you know, spitting out cliches and then they do the game predictions and, oh my God, the Patriots is 13-point favorites. They all predicted them to win. How fucking insightful is that? I would much rather have sports betting-related content from knowledgeable people in a pregame show like they do in, over in Europe. And I think those times are coming. I really look forward to the day when you can turn on a major network TV show before uh, before a game start, a round of games start and get valid information that's relevant to your betting, like, I don't know, weather information, player personnel information, instead of just the same bullshit that they spit out all the time. So uh, I think the Caesars deal with ESPN is just a uh, step in the right direction. It's about time that this happened, and we're going to see similar partnerships moving forward. <laughs> Manchester City wins their second straight Premier League title. That's their fourth title in eight years. And props to Liverpool, though. They have the third highest points of all time, and they come in second place. They only lost one game all season long, and that was to Man City. And that was also by mere millimeters, or whatever the metric unit you want to use. But literally, that game was so close. A ball that was on the line was kicked out by John Stones for City in their match back in January. And... If that ball crosses the line, then Liverpool gets, you know, it's a huge swing there. It's a tie game instead of City winning. So that's a huge swing on points right there. So right now, City is going for the historic treble. They face off against Watford in the FA Cup final tomorrow at Wembley Stadium. They already won the League Cup back in February. They won the Premier League for the second straight year. Now they're going for the FA Cup. So the domestic treble, um, unprecedented for Man City. They're trying to do that. And they're roughly minus 900 tomorrow, a.k.a. 90% to lift the trophy over Watford. So it'll be a big shocker if City does not get the trouble. And I'm personally a Manchester City fan. I actually went to my first Man City game um, in Manchester in April 2008 against Spurs. And I have photo proof to prove it. Um, That was just mere months before they were bought out by uh, the Sheik Mansour and uh, became one of the richest clubs in the world. They're just a middling team when I became a fan of them. And you know, I kind of identified with the fact that they had just a very loyal fan base that was very passionate, but hadn't won a title. I identified with them as kind of a Cubs fan, a team that hadn't won in so long. I think it was like a 40-year period where they just hadn't won the league and they're you know little brother to Man United all that time. And also so many of my favorite uh, musical acts, mus- musicians were Man City fans, so I was drawn to that, um, namely Oasis, the Gallagher brothers. So I became a City fan about... 15 years ago, roughly, 14 years ago. Finally got to go to my first game and then got extremely lucky. <laughs> the team got very rich and, of course, uh, bought all these amazing players. But just the way they've went about it, they've completely revamped the entire organization from the entire club from the ground up. They rebuilt everything. They're really focusing on their youth development system. And, um, of course, getting Pep Guardiola to be your coach is 
going to definitely take you in the right direction too. So they're doing everything right there as a City fan. This is these are the glory days. I mean, four titles in eight years in the Premier League is is insane. So and and I, I honestly think they're like the Gold State Warriors now of, of the Premier League. So congrats to Manchester City. Speaking of soccer, the Champions League last week was so lit. Um, I'm sure you were aware of it, but Liverpool advanced um, by beating Barcelona at home 4-0. They were around 20-1 to to advance going into that match because they dropped the, you know, they went for, in the Champions League, you go one home, one away. It's obviously, uh, you play the team twice. And the first leg, Liverpool lost 3-0 to at Barcelona, and it looked all over going into the second leg at Liverpool. And the tiebreaker's away goal, so Liverpool didn't get an away goal. So basically, Barcelona scored at Liverpool, then Liverpool was going to have to win by four goals. Liverpool got that early goal, got another goal, and then it got real. And then it was tied 3-3 three to three for a while aggregate, and then Liverpool had that crazy goal where they caught uh, Barcelona off guard, won the match 4-0 to zero and advanced in crazy fashion, only to be potentially topped. You can argue whether or not it was topped the next day, but Tottenham Hotspur was down against Ajax. Ajax won 1-0 at Tottenham in the first leg got the away goal. So the second leg at Ajax, Ajax scored the first two goals. So they're up 3-0 to zero aggregate. The only way that Spurs can advance is by scoring three goals. And what would you know, they score all three goals, including the final one, one of the last kicks of the game. Might have been the last kick of the game um, last Wednesday. Tottenham got the three goals. So they actually tied the the uh, aggregate score 3-3 three to three there and obviously got the tiebreaker with the away goals so they advance. It's an all-England final in Madrid on June 1st for the Champions League. Liverpool versus Tottenham Hotspur. And uh, I will be covering that as it approaches. The NBA Draft Lottery. New York fans look so depressed. It's almost like they didn't know that there was an 86% chance that they would not get the number one overall pick. But new Pelicans general manager David Griffin is a lucky little fuck. He won the lottery three times in four years with the Cavs, too. He, he went to the to Cleveland uh, from Phoenix, I believe, in 2010 as a, an assistant. He, was, he wasn't the GM when he went to Cleveland right away. I think he took over the GM duties in 2014, but they won the lottery three out of four years. Anthony Bennett the year before Wiggins, I believe, and then, of course, uh, Kyrie Irving also a couple years before that. So David Griffin's no stranger to winning the lottery, and then he goes and becomes the Pelicans GM this year, and what do you know, a 6%, at 6% odds, they win the lottery, so go buy me a lotto ticket, David Griffin. Um, Zion, it was kind of awkward, he was awkwardly kind of pissed off after, you can tell he was not planning to go to New Orleans, I think he was really thinking he was going to go to New York, or at least, you know, a better market at least, a bigger market. And another thing, too, the NBA draft lottery, I'm not going to get into the whole conspiracy theory thing, even though I think it's incredibly sketchy that they don't do it live. Uh, the frozen envelope, obviously, with Patrick Ewing in mind and everything. But Rachel Nichols, who's in charge of the ESPN coverage, you know, the the lottery coverage the other night. Obviously, ESPN's in bed with the NBA here, but Rachel Nichols, spare us with the, here comes the Ernst & Young guy, who's the only person in the room who knows the results. Uh, how could you possibly say that? Like Frank Isolda from The Athletic posted on social media five minutes before that saying, quote, a person inside the lottery room was able to transmit the results to me. Wow, just wow, end quote. So Rachel Nichols spares with the here comes the only guy in the room who knows the fucking results shit because that was complete bullshit. The Kentucky Derby post-mortem. Um, obviously, we had drama in the Kentucky Derby almost two weeks ago now. 
But a story came out about a doctor, Dr. Steve Friedlander is his name. He's a doctor in the Reno, Nevada area. But this story just dropped, uh, and credit to the Action Network for first reporting this, but um, I heard an interview with this guy yesterday on Visa, and uh, Gil Alexander brought him in on his show, and he was able to explain the story. Basically what happened was Dr. Friedlander, he's like an eye doctor, I believe, in, in that area. His son's track meet was down in Carson City, um, the day before, like leading up to the Kentucky Derby, and he bets on sports. He said, but he, you know, obviously put money on uh, the first, the race, the big race on the first Saturday in May every year. He does that based off a tip that his buddy gives him usually. Anyway, he was going down to his son's track meet in Carson City and was in a rush to get there, so he stopped at a a smaller William Hill on the way um, that was conveniently on the way, and the William Hill that he stopped at. Um, he didn't know it at the time, but they did not have a paramutual license. And paramutual, obviously, you pool all of your money and you need to get a license. You pool the money together, and if you make a bet in a paramutual pool, then you're paid out according to you know what the other people bet in that pool. So basically, this particular location did not have a paramutual license. When he made his bets, um, his, he made an exacta bet, trifecta bet as well, um, he was not aware of this, but there was a sign on the other side of the of the um, the location saying that they don't have their paramutual license, and also on the back of his tickets as well. But he made the bets, and of course they hit um, due to the controversy. His he had a country horse, coat of honor, and Tacitus uh, for his trifecta. So he actually had an exacta as well that hit his two dollar exacta paid three thousand dollars just over three thousand dollars um for him he had a one hundred dollar exacta so if you do the math there it came out to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars on his take on the exacta on the trifecta two a one dollar trifecta paid out eleven thousand four hundred seventy five dollars and dr friedlander his paid out four hundred and fifty nine thousand dollars because he had a forty dollar trifecta so his Six hundred dollar bet, um, yield. Let's see. So he should have won six hundred nine thousand dollars, basically. But he found out when he went to get the ticket at the William Hill. He talked to the same op, the same uh, ticket writer. He said that he was getting capped at a very small amount because in the back of the ticket it said that you're capped at a one hundred fifty to one payout. So it wasn't a money thing. You're just capped on the on the ratio you can get. So there's no like money cap. So we went to get the money and found out, oh, we don't have that kind of money here. He's like, well, yeah, I wasn't expecting you guys to actually pay it out here. And they're like, well, no, you're actually capped, and you're only going to make uh, about sixty-nine thousand or thirty-five thousand dollars. That's what it was. Six hundred nine thousand is what he expected, but he was only offered thirty-five thousand dollars due to the cap. So obviously that was very disappointing. And the issue comes to obviously he's launching an appeal or he's launching a case with the uh, Nevada Gaming Commission. Which, you'd be surprised, not every time, they, they don't always side with the books here. So it's not like out of the question for them to side with a guy like him in this position. The issue, from a legal standpoint, though, comes down to whether or not the warning was conspicuous enough. A.K.A. was he able was a reasonable person in his position um, able to have proper notice or should have had proper notice that the sports book was, did not have a peer mutual license and that... Um, and that he should have known that his tickets would be limited by that, uh, by the fact that they did not have the license. So 
right now, I mean, I feel bad for the guy because I don't expect him to win. Unfortunately, having the sign up, you can argue, is conspicuous enough. And it is, it would open up a slippery slope to allow him to recover here because the wording was on the ticket. And this is just a reminder, when you go bet, and this also applies to a situation when you're betting on sports, if the ticket writer punches in the wrong team, if you give them the rotation number and they punch in the wrong one, it's your responsibility to look at the ticket and double check. You can't go back later and say, oh, the ticket writer screwed up. I had this side. That's not going to work. So this situation, of course, he's going to learn the hard way here. I don't expect him to recover anything, but there's two takeaways for me. The first one is, obviously, you have to double check your tickets. This goes for any situation. Make sure if you're betting baseball, make sure that the the pitchers are listed. Um, If you're betting another sport, make sure that they get the right fucking team in there because you have no recourse if they fuck that up. And this applied for him as well. Unfortunately, he was in a rush to get this track meet. And ironically, he said if his son, the next week, his son's track meet was uh, in a much closer location to where they lived. And the William Hill by there does have a parimutuel license. So he would have been fully paid out if he just went to the track, you know, the track meet that was a week later if he went the week, if that one was the week prior. So pretty shitty luck for him. But. It's just a reminder that even though he's in a rush, it was his responsibility to to have that information, to know it. But my second takeaway, though, and this one I think is a bigger picture perspective, William Hill in general is known for being the one book that really, the nationwide book that shuts down winning players. Uh, Anybody that has a chance to win, they just, they get them out. That's their business model. They're run by, obviously, um, a company in the UK. William Hill is big presence over in the UK. And that's their business model. They don't fuck with with winning players. So William Hill's had some issues in the past, too, where they're kind of sketchy. They're shady dealings. You know, they severely limit players like that. And I think they offered some draft props last year that they wouldn't pay out. I know um, I mentioned him earlier, but Gil Alexander had some draft bets that William Hill was not. Or maybe it was CG technology, but either way, they're known for being shady like this. And if William Hill is trying to be like the super book, you know, the... Uh, America's number one sports book or whatever they claim to fucking be, they need to address this shit. And I think that their ticket writer should... He, he had a duty to at least inform Dr. Friedlander or anybody in the situation that they did not have their parimutuel license. Because you could just see when you're putting that money in, based off the odds, that this guy's going to get capped at a 150 to 1 payout. And he was just going to make 39k on this at most when he had the expectation after, obviously, he found out that the the changes were made in the race, that he was going to win $609,000, only to find out it was way less than that. And I think that that's on the, the ticket writer. You know, it's one thing to put a sign that's conspicuous enough in the you know in the actual sports book or whatever uh, to let them know, to let people put them on notice that they don't have the parimutuel license. But it's another thing to actually you know be a decent human being and be good at your job and actually inform him in person. So they got to do better, William Hill. They actually have to train their employees to give a shit. And, you know, it's one thing to go above and beyond, but it's another thing to just, like, be a decent ticket writer and kind of let them know uh, what the situation is and at least be more conspicuous. I mean, clearly his argument is going to be that it wasn't conspicuous enough, but I think he's got pretty much no shot uh, with the Gaming Commission on his um, his case, but I think they have 45 days to respond to it. So. I'll keep you all posted if there's any interesting news on that development. But just a reminder, I think that these sports books got to do better, but also you have to remember to check your tickets. Speaking of horse racing, the Preakness is tomorrow at Pimlico in Baltimore, Maryland. 
Um, first time since 1996 that the Kentucky Derby winner will not be racing in the Preakness. I believe that none of the top three horses from the Derby will be riding tomorrow, actually. Uh, it's a very open field, so actually if you're trying to make money, uh, this is a good opportunity, I think. Improbable, the fourth place horse from the Derby, is your current favorite. Uh, I think I'm going to take a look at including him, the Improbable, in some of my tickets if I end up playing it. But uh, taking a look, I've heard some sharp guys say that the number two horse, Bourbon War, might be worth a look. So I think I'm going to take a look at the Exacta box with Improbable and Bourbon War. <laughs> Game of Thrones series finale is set for this Sunday. It's going to be a huge TV event. Uh, Game of Thrones betting is really taking a lot of interest into it. A lot of offshore websites have offered some very creative props uh, with Game of Thrones, and the best part is they change them every week, which is really cool. And interestingly, this week, there was a big move on Bran um, to rule Westeros at the end of the entire series. I think one book got to around minus 500 on him, which is pretty fucking crazy when you think about it, but there's been some interesting moves. Obviously, um, spoiler alert if you haven't really watched the show, but, uh, but Danny. She was one of the favorites all season long, but now she's moved up to like 15 to 1 at some books after that crazy shit that she went down, that went down uh, last episode. And moving up are actually Sansa. Sansa's like two, two and a half to 1 to rule. Brand's obviously the new favorite. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but Game of Thrones, it all comes to an end this Sunday night. The NBA playoffs are heating up. Obviously, we had an amazing series. Um, last round, I think the second round was fantastic. Obviously, we had the Kawhi Leonard um, game winner, which was interestingly the, the only buzzer beater uh, in Game 7 history, in NBA history. And it's only the second buzzer beater, or game-winning buzzer beater, um, in a game dis- in a series-deciding game, and the first one being Michael Jordan's The Shot against the Cavs back in 1989. But thought that was interesting. Kawhi with a huge shot. And that, that photo of them all like looking like him and Embiid sitting there, him crouched down, Kawhi, like waiting for the ball to go down. It's like one of the most epic sports shots, I think, or uh, sports photographs ever taken, in my opinion. But uh, congrats to them. Now we have four teams left. The Warriors last night came back in epic fashion to take a 2-0 series lead over the Blazers. I mentioned Durant earlier. They're saying that that injury might be more serious than they're letting on. I know some people are theorizing that it's actually a really bad Achilles injury, and he actually might not be coming back for a long time. But they're saying right now, I'm hearing for look-aheads, and obviously the Bucks are playing the Raptors. They're up one game to, to nothing after coming back in crazy fashion. Uh, really feel bad for you, Raptors backers, who had plus 6.5 or plus 7 in game one. That is fucking brutal. Raptors were leading the entire fucking game. We're covering the entire game easily until the last 28 seconds when the Bucks, uh, I think it was Middleton, hit two free throws to put him up by eight points, and then that was all she wrote. So very brutal beat there for uh, for Raptors backers. But the Bucks have a 1-0 series lead, and I heard for a look-ahead line if it is the Bucks versus the Warriors in the finals. with Since the Bucks have the, the home court advantage with Durant, the Warriors would be about minus 160 favorites, obviously depending on how they look the rest of the series. But obviously if they play it right now, I heard Jeff Sherman at the Westgate Say he'd probably open up the Warriors minus 160 favorites over the Bucks with Durant, but without Durant, uh, things kind of hold form right now. And Durant is not playing in the series, then the Bucks would actually be favored against the Warriors with home court advantage uh, at about minus 150. So it's getting very real for Milwaukee fans right now. And I'm sitting on a big Bucks ticket. I've been all about them all season long. And listen back to the Doggy Juice Pod at the beginning of the season. I've been all about the Bucks every which way, including Giannis to win MVP. I've got them 10-1 to 1 to win the Eastern Conference. 
Um, bet their season win total over, bet them to win the division. Any any bet I can have on the Bucks this year was made. So they've been great. Uh, Doggy Juice, full backer of the Milwaukee Bucks and the Greek Freak. And uh, I hope they get it done this series, and I hope we get that Warriors-Bucks matchup in the NBA Finals. The PGA Championship is going on this weekend. Um, obviously, it's at Beth Page Black, that incredibly hard course in Long Island. Uh, they have those Poana greens there, which obviously is a big part of your handicap if you want to look at players that are good at putting in Poana greens. But it really is beneficial to long bombers and guys who could be accurate off the tee. And Brooks Kepka, the cyborg, with a course record 63 yesterday to open the tournament. Pretty unbelievable the run that guy's on in majors. Um, he got bet down to like 6-1 to one at some shops before the tournament, which is insane. But now, of course, looks looks uh, sharp. Uh, but betting anybody at 6-1 to one of these tournaments is just crazy, in my opinion. But anyway, I think for this tournament, you're really, especially the way Brooks started this tournament, live betting on golf outrights I think is a great move. Um, just taking golf futures pre-flop is kind of the way of the past, in my opinion. I think getting you can get great numbers on guys um, at longer odds once the tournament kicks off. So live betting the, the golf futures I think is a great decision to make. Um, I mean, you even saw like in the Masters, guys like you know Dustin Johnson. I think you could have got him twenty-five to one the day before the final Sunday, and, and he made a, ch- a late charge. So if you can really find value on guys um, mid-tournament, just only going pre-flop on guys, I think you're kind of you know you're you're limiting your potential win by doing that. So really look to bet the live odds, especially catching some golfers at a, a bigger plus price after the tournament starts, and especially after you know certain golfers like. Brooks Kepka in this instance gets off to such a hot start it really opens up value on other golfers I think so Hello! that'll do it um, for this episode of the Doggy Juice Podcast it's a quick one I will be back next week with more and uh, Oliver and Quincy from the Top Class Finish Soccer Podcast should be coming here soon to discuss the upcoming Champions League final between Liverpool and Tottenham Hotspur other than that I'll be back soon with an update on the NBA playoffs we've got NHL playoffs heating up as well uh, follow me on Doggy Juice, or sorry, on Twitter and Instagram at Doggy Juice. And I will be back soon. Thank you very much for listening. Good luck with your bets and enjoy your weekend. Doggy Juice out. <laughs>